0: So it's Daniel chapter 2, and I'm reading from the NIV. Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic. "O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers. This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But... If you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive great gifts from me and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you.' You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation would change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king. There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariop then explained the matter to Daniel. At this Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness. And light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the King.
1: Um, um, How about we pray as we come to this part of the Bible? Lord God, we thank you that you have given us your word in the Bible, and we ask that as we look at it now, We pray that you would show yourself to us clearly. We pray too that you would show us who we are as your creatures. And we pray in Jesus name, Amen. I went to the dentist a couple of weeks ago and I can tell you that I didn't actually look forward to it. I was probably 12 months late for my appointment. I don't think any of us like going to the dentist. Now, I wonder whether that's partly because of the lies that the dentist will find when they get into our mouth. The lie that we've been brushing our teeth regularly and thoroughly or the lie that we've been flossing very carefully right down to the gums or the lie that there's no plaque in our mouth or the lie that cold water doesn't send a chill down your back. You get in that chair, the dentist takes a look, they poke around, they scratch and that sharp twinge or jolt of pain goes down your back. The dentist will reveal your mouth for what it is. If scratching around doesn't do it, they'll get you to chew on that that plaque revealing substance, that dye. And sometimes they'll even go full on and get an x-ray of your mouth and your gums revealing the lies that are in your mouth. Not many of us enjoy a trip to the dentist. I think it's because of what we hide in our mouths. Similar things could be said about exam time. When exam time rolls around, the truth will be shown for what it is. Your lack of study will be self-evident, your lack of grasp of the things you are supposed to have learnt, it will be shown up by these exams. Exams, trips to the dentist, they can cause you to lose sleep, can't they? To have unsettled sleep as you toss and turn thinking about the possibilities of what might happen. But worse than both those examples, the dentist and exams, worse than both, is if we've been building our life on a lie. And if we're constantly worrying about being found out, the further we go with the lie, the higher the stakes. The bigger the risk of being found out, the further we have to fall if we are discovered. And I wonder if something like that was happening for great King Nebuchadnezzar. I wonder if the fear of the truth coming out was what kept him up at night. This amazing king this powerful powerful king he'd been raised to rule from a very young age he's ruling in incredible power his dominion has been constantly growing as his kingdom swallows up others and the spoils of war all around him including daniel and his friends in the king's service but chapter 2 verse 1 says in the second year of his reign nebuchadnezzar had dreams His mind was troubled. He could not sleep. I don't think he was worried about the dentist or exams. Perhaps he's got other things to worry about. Other ways in which the truth will be found out. For example, look at the way people address this great king in verse 4. Sure, this might be the way that you address all kings, but... At the same time, look at the words. Verse 4. O king, live forever. O king, live forever. Perhaps that is the lie that's keeping him up at night. Perhaps he's built his kingdom and his, his, na- his nation on the assumption that he will never be defeated. That his rule will never end. That he'll be sovereign over everything. Whatever's happening... This great king appears to be disturbed. His behavior becomes somewhat irrational and hot-headed. When I'm short of sleep, I'm told that I can be a little bit grumpy and short-tempered, maybe irrational. Great King Nebuchadnezzar is just like that. We saw in chapter 1 that, of Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar was cultivating this group of advisers, these intellectuals, Um, It's like he's been sponsoring them, pampering them, and preparing them for an occasion just like this when they can advise him. So the king calls on them to interpret his dream. But as you read, you notice he is quite unreasonable with them. They have their ways and their means that they use to interpret dreams, but the king wants them to tell him his dream and interpret it. And so look how great, how disturbed this great king is in verse four, when the astrologers answer the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever, tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. You've got to feel a little bit sorry for these wise men of Babylon, don't you? I mean, the king, he's having bad dreams, he's losing sleep, and he's taking it out on them. Verse 11, see their frustration. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. These wise men of Babylon are being revealed for who they are. Their craft of interpreting dreams, it doesn't work if they don't have any raw material to work with. It's like the king's grumpiness, perhaps his uncertainty, it's driving him to show these men who they really are. He's not giving them an inch. Perhaps the truest thing they acknowledge here, though, is it's only a God who could help in this situation. But verse 12, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. There is, I think, another sign here that King Nebuchadnezzar is rattled, worried, and disturbed. He's just sentenced all the wise men in Babylon to death when we'll soon discover that all the wise men in Babylon aren't even aware of what's been happening. Daniel isn't. In fact, Daniel, if anyone, would be the person who you'd want to take this problem to because back in chapter 1, verse 17, we're told that Daniel can understand dreams and visions. But then in 2, verses 14 to 15... When Ariok, the commander of the the king's guard, rounds up all the wise men to have them killed, Daniel doesn't even know why he's about to be put to death. He doesn't know that the king's had a dream that he once interpreted. He hasn't had a chance. Daniel hasn't had a chance to defend himself. The king is acting on instinct, and he's actually acting irrationally. Great King Nebuchadnezzar is behaving irrationally. This is not the sort of behavior which would have got him into the position of power that he is in. This is not the way that he would be ruling generally. This is irrational behavior. But he's having dreams. They're driving him crazy. Maybe he suspects that this great kingdom that he rules, maybe he suspects that there's flaws in it. Remember that line in verse 4? O king, live forever. In verse 16, Daniel is incredibly brave. What he does is... He asks for time. <laughs> Remember the, the king was furious about these men, these wise men wasting time back in verse 8, and here's Daniel asking for more time. He's incredibly brave. Then in verse 17, he runs back to his friends and tells them what's happened and tells them to start praying. Notice how they pray in verse 18. Verse 18, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. Concerning this mystery. Now they're going to the place where you will find answers. They're turning to God, pleading with God for mercy. In this great kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, there's no one who can tell the king his dream and interpret it. There's no one, there's nothing in this great kingdom of Babylon that can get these wise men off the hook. These young Jewish men, they know what to do. They pray to God the God who created everything. If they're going to get any help, that's where their help will come from. And so they pray pray for mercy. And incredibly, God is merciful. He decides to show Daniel the king's vision, his dream, and the interpretation. You see that in verse 19. But, you know, I can't help wondering if, really, Daniel had an inkling of what this might be about. Verse 4, O king, live forever. Have a look at the way Daniel praises God after God's revealed the, the dream to him. Look at Daniel's choice of words. Verse 19, partway through, then Daniel praised the God of heaven, verse 20, and said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. O king, live forever. Daniel knows that God is God. And it's God who sets up kings. It's God who deposes them. O king, live forever sounds so hollow in the face of this dream and its interpretation. Sounds so hollow when you put God back in the picture. The great king has this recurring dream. It's a disturbing dream, a dream that God mercifully reveals to Daniel. And as you look at verses 24 and 25, I think you'll agree, it's a dream that puts all rulers in their place. Daniel, the dream dentist, has the task of showing the great king his cavities. His job is showing the king the lie that he's Built his kingdom on. The lie that we can be the God of our own destiny. The lie that Australians still live by. The lie that Adam and Eve fell for. This is a dream that puts all people in their place. Specifically, in the passage, it's a dream that puts rulers in their place. Verse 31 You looked, O God, O King, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue out on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. You get the picture? There's this statue in four parts, decreasing glory if you like, standing on weak feet. The feet are like the Achilles heels of the statue. And then there's this rock not made by humans, not made by human hands, And the rock, it smashes the feet, crumbles the statue, and the rock fills the earth. The interpretation starts in verse 36. This great king Nebuchadnezzar, he's the head of the statue. He's the magnificent golden head. And then verse 39, a kingdom will come after him that's not quite so great. And still another kingdom, a third kingdom in verse 39, a fourth in verse 40. The fourth kingdom, it'll be a divided kingdom, it'll be weakened. And there's theories about who these exact kingdoms represent. And some of the theories are, yeah, quite reasonable, quite plausible. But I'd hold off on identifying these kings with certainty, or these kingdoms with certainty, because I think that misses the point of the vision. I think what we're supposed to see is the more general truth here, a truth which will resonate with points of time in history and so that this dream lines up with events. But it's the pattern that's important. The key to this vision is... The rock that comes last, the rock that smashes all the human kingdoms. So in verse 44 and following, verse 44, in the time of those kings, God revealed, uh, God, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is you know, God's kingdom, the one that he set up. In verse 40, 45, This is the meaning of the vision of the rock out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. This is a dream which shows the bigger perspective. It puts all kings and rulers in their place. Sure, Nebuchadnezzar is a mighty king. The kingdoms that follow may not even be anything on his kingdom, but all these kingdoms will fall. While it's God's kingdom that will never fall. God will put aside the kings of the earth and install the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We're reading this as New Testament Christians. We can see that this is a a, a dream which shows where Jesus comes into this. The eternal king. Nebuchadnezzar he was a great king, powerful beyond all imagination, but in the end he was just a human. He was just a man. Did you notice Daniel's description of great King King Nebuchadnezzar's rule? Because the way he describes his rule, Nebuchadnezzar's rule, you know, it it resonates with what you read in Genesis chapter one, verse twenty eight. So Genesis 1, verse 28, it's talking about Adam and Eve, and it goes, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Look at verse 37 of Daniel 2. You, O king, a king of kings, the God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he's placed, man, placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. It's similar, isn't it? To Genesis. I think we're supposed to recognize some similarity here because at the peak of his glory and his majesty, King Nebuchadnezzar, great King Nebuchadnezzar, he was only doing what God let him do. He was only being another man like Adam, ruling this world under God. Remember verse 4, the way people talk to this king? O king, live forever. The only way a human will ever live forever is as part of God's kingdom under God's eternal king, Jesus. That's the only way. The only way Nebuchadnezzar will live forever is if he starts living for God. The great king has this recurring dream. It's a disturbing dream, a dream which God mercifully reveals to Daniel, a dream which puts all other rulers in their place. And when you think about it, it's a dream that puts us all humans in our place. It's easy for us to build our lives on the lie that we can live without God, that we will live forever, that we are the masters of our own destiny. But when we try to live like that, we just make a mess of the place. Great King Nebuchadnezzar, he's learning the lesson that we all need to learn and that we all need to be reminded of again and again and again. God is God. We are his creatures. Life is a lie if we pretend that God doesn't exist. Life is a lie if we live like God doesn't exist. Life is a lie if we don't live for God. Daniel, the dream dentist, has just held up an x-ray to King Nebuchadnezzar, showing him his cavities, And the king responds in a kind of a weird way. Firstly, he's relieved. We'll come back to that. He pats Daniel on the back, showers Daniel with blessings. But I don't think he's actually understood the vision, do you? Have another look at verses 46 to 49. Is Nebuchadnezzar acknowledging God here? Or is he just acknowledging Daniel? Have a look at it, verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and prayed him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. And then the king placed Daniel in high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Is Nebuchadnezzar acknowledging Daniel, or is he acknowledging God? At this point, I think he's acknowledging Daniel, and any acknowledgement God gets is only kind of flow-on, simply because God is Daniel's God. Nebuchadnezzar, he does sound relieved, and perhaps that's because this collapse of kingdoms, it's in the future, it's not yet. I think he's hearing the first half of verse 45. Sorry, the second half of verse 45 and missing the rest. 45, the second half. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. For the time being, Nebuchadnezzar will be okay. He can enjoy being a great and powerful king without acknowledging God. Looking across this chapter, the great king Nebuchadnezzar had a disturbing dream, a dream which God mercifully reveals to Daniel, a dream which puts all rulers and kingdoms in their place. And Nebuchadnezzar is relieved, but he didn't really understand, did he? I don't think it's till the end of chapter 4 that this great king begins to understand. But that's for another time. For now, let's take to heart the main point of this passage. Have another look at Daniel's prayer from verse 19. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes the times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. God is setting up His eternal kingdom. He's appointed Jesus as king. Jesus, He's not like Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't lose the plot in irrational rage. Instead, Jesus is a king who gives up his life for his people. Jesus is a king who's loving and fair, and Jesus is a king who will bring justice, judgment and justice. Our king, Jesus, he doesn't make irrational demands of us. In fact, he was prepared to serve us so that we'll be part of his kingdom. And so while we live in this world waiting for Jesus to return, we are expected to serve other rulers and other kings, But our primary allegiance will always be to Jesus, our Lord and our God. So let's make sure that we are building our lives on the truth and not on lies. Let's pray. Our great God, we praise you because of your wisdom and your power. Lord, you change the seasons. You've made everything. You raise up rulers and you take them down. And you've chosen to reveal yourself to us. God, please forgive us for when we live a lie by ignoring you. Please forgive us for taking matters into our own hands. Lord, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, the perfect man and fully God. Thank you for his death in our place. Please forgive us and change us and help us to live with Jesus as our ruler. We pray that we would live as aliens and strangers in this world as we seek to serve Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.